Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your host is Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor and founder of the Chalcedon Teacher Training Institute. Thanks for joining me today for this episode of the Out of the Question podcast. About a year or so ago, a friend of mine and I were discussing how getting a dog and training it gave us insights into parenting that we wish we had had when we began our parenting journeys. Especially with horses and dogs, but not only restricted to them, we see that in the best situations, there exists a partnership between an animal and its person. So much so that the animal desires to please and cooperate. Even service animals have been trained to detect things like oncoming seizures or low blood sugar problems before they become critical. Many think that training like this amounts to magical powers. The people who can do this with animals must be people who have some superpowers that others don't possess. My guest today, J.L. Seibert, might give us a different perspective on whether or not she's actually a magician and talk about her experience training animals. And the question that we're going to talk about is, what can we learn from animals? Or as the Bible puts it in Job twelve seven, ask now the beasts and they shall teach thee. So JL, thanks for joining me today. It's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate it. So give my listeners a bit of your background, how you came to be involved with training of animals and things like that. Sure. So as far as dogs, I started training them as young as when I was 12 years old. Uh, we had our first border collie that I would go out and train. And then that progressed into us doing some rescue work with dogs and cats, mainly dogs. And then, um, when I was 14 years old, we got horses. And um, in 2014, I went to a trade school where I went for a farrier, also known as a like, barefoot trimming natural hoof care practitioner. And I've been doing that for 10 years, um, have my own business, working with many, many hundreds of horses. And the last 10 years, we've also have been raising specifically German line, German shepherds, where we train them. It's called Schutzen. It's a German word meaning protection. Um, we would train bite work, tracking human scent, obedience, and then also shows. And uh, we raise, you know, have litters of puppies. So that's my experience with animals. So when you started out at 12 years old, 14 years old, was it that you just loved animals or did you have an example from someone who trained animals and you said, hmm, I want to be like that person. No, it was always a love for animals that I have. Um, I think it just goes back to my mom always had horses and loved German shepherds. And even my grandfather, uh, he would stand up and try to stand on his the work horses back when they used to use them for getting uh, sap out of the trees. He would use his work horses for riding and just I think it's just a love that I've always had. So do you think it's a requirement that if you're going to effectively train an animal, you have to have affinity for the animal, the breed, the species? 
I do. Yeah, I think it's important. I remember years ago, early on after my conversion, being uh, at a church and the pastor was giving a sermon and he said something that I remember to this day. He said, why don't parents care enough about their children to train them? And, you know, of course, here we were in a church and there were lots of screaming, crying, whatever going on. And I mean, that's normal with children. But he Mm -hmm. says or he said that people endeavor to train their dogs so that their behaviors are appropriate, etc. And he said he never could figure out why people didn't make that connection. Um, do you think that that's a problem that people think, well, I could never treat my child like a dog or like a horse. But from what I understand, the way you treat a dog or a horse is not anything other that, than something that's beneficial for both of you. Right. Yeah. I, I would definitely say that's the case. I think it, I think children and animals, there's a big connection. Obviously, you know, we, as believers, knowing that we are made in the image of God, um, as, as it says in Genesis and in his likeness and animals, you know, they're made of dust, but we have dominion over them. However, we're still, we're still have the same emotions and we still are here in this world. And I think just a lot of the applications that we would apply to children can go to animals and vice versa. Yeah, I do see, I do see people. I feel like they may have one down of of the children, not the animals or the, the animals, not the children. And they can't connect the two. Right. Because part of dominion is having dominion over the animals would give us experience, knowledge, and a reference point that we could expand on it. So right. let's just get it clear. I don't think horses are made in the image of God. I don't think dogs are made in the image of God. I happen to not like cats, so I'm not sure what they're made in the image of, but that's a different story. Cats aren't really known for being animals that you train, so um they're a little wilder there. But I know what happens to a lot of Christian parents where they want to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and they require obedience. Mm -hmm. But there are many ways to obtain obedience. So when you're training a dog or you're training a horse, are a number of tools in your toolbox positive incentives as well as negative incentives? Yes. So give some examples of that. Okay. So I would... I would probably one thing that really comes to mind just with my job working with horses every single day is that a lot of people want to baby their horse, thinking that if they maybe sweet talk them or give them extra treats or allow them to pretty much push them around, the horse is going to think that the owner loves them more. And, you know, we see the same thing happening with children. If I just buy my child this toy or give in to whatever they want, they're going to love me more. But that is not true love. And and you can almost see the reaction in a horse, for example, when I'm trying to do my job trimming their hoof, while the whole time the owner is, is sweet talking them, letting the horse move, I'll ask the owner very politely if I could have the lead rope that they are holding the horse with. And if I could just take over for a moment and they allow me to. And what I do is I I basically 
for a horse specifically, we'll back them up. And that's kind of showing who the, the leader is. And in doing that, the horse will actually, they will sigh in relief. Um, they'll, they'll lick their lips. When they do that, it means they're thinking about what's going on. And they will even drop their head and stand perfectly for me. And I would say probably over 50% of my clients will say, wow, you should be a horse trainer. What are you doing trimming horses? How did you get my horse to relax? And, and after that happens, the horse is actually wanting to follow me and be with me over the owner. <laughs> and so they see at that moment that, you know, babying them and, and giving into them is not really what the horse wants. They strive for a leader. They strive to, to have someone to guide them. And, you know, they actually are more sound in the mind and are just safer to be around. So it's pretty obvious from that example that you didn't use coercion. You applied something to the horse, an activity or emotion, because you understood the horse, you knew how to get the horse to cooperate. Now, is this usually true across the board or you just happen to be lucky and you have horses that listen to you? No, this is true across the board with whether it's a wild feral horse or a miniature donkey. It's across the board true over 10 years of working with hundreds of horses. So explain a little bit how that fits into the dominion mandate from your perspective and your experience. Well, I think just... Yeah, just as like, like we were saying, the Bible says we have dominion. I think, and even as as parents to be shepherds or caring for our children, you know, they they strive for a leader. And one example I can give about our German shepherd who was a he was a leader type dog, and we at that time we were rescuing, and we had rescued this mixed breed. Very, very sweet dog, but he had a lot of a lot of mental problems. He was very fearful. He would lash out. He was even like he would fear bite and he would chase the horses. He would just was just out of control. And once once Max, the lead dog, started, he would actually like lead him. And we seen a difference. His name was Oscar and his behavior would get better. And even when we started showing him boundaries and and showing him that, you know, right from wrong and training this dog, he became more sound in the mind. And then Max, the German shepherd passed away. And right after he passed away, Oscar just went crazy. He started chewing things up and just started going, he would be afraid of thunderstorms and like just out of his mind, you know, fearful and everything. So we, we seen that even just within the, within the dog pack, if you will, Mm-hmm. And with us implying the boundaries and leadership, he became a different dog. So I think I think just the dominion shows in whether it's a dog's horses, whatever that may be, that they are they're sound, they're more sound in the mind, they they're more relaxed and they they're happier, really, when we give them boundaries and and obviously I think rewarding is is you know, I don't think we should all just be disciplined. And no positive, rewarding, showing them right for wrong. You know, obviously there's a balance, but. Right, right. I was talking to someone recently who pointed out that typically what animal owners do, specifically dog owners, will do training with treats and very, you know, tasty treats, whether it's chicken or liverwurst or something like that. And then when the dog 
begins to comply to what's being asked, then people take away the incentive. And now, um, so the big reward for doing what I told you to do is to not give you a reward anymore. And if you think about it, you have a job and your employer says, I'll pay you this much an hour and you start doing a really good job. And then he says, okay, you're doing such a good job. I'm going to cut your pay, right? Mm -hmm. You think that that attitude has something to do that we think, whether it's an animal or a child, that obedience isn't something that has to be practiced and incentivized so that you get the results you want? Yeah, I think I think it's important to continue in that. But some people will say, well, you're just spoiling the animal. You can't always have liverwurst around you or something like that. I want the I want the animal to obey when I want him or her to obey. Um, do you think that's an unrealistic attitude as opposed to one that says we have a relationship and we have to nurture this relationship? Right. Yes. I see what you're saying. Yeah, definitely. And what I will do is I will even like switch up the reward of, you know, maybe a toy or even just petting them so that, like you said, they're not later on when they're trained and you take it away. And then all of a sudden you see a decline in how they're responding because the treats went away. So, of course, with children, you're not going to walk around with treats, although some people do, or iPads or whatever they, you know, give them. Did you notice in the dog that became your lead dog, did he seem to relish the work that he was given to do? Yeah, he did. I think it's, you know, obviously the rewarding is good, but just just being that leader and that presence and you know, and he would, if you want to call it discipline, the other dog, he would. And, you know, the other dog had high respect for him. Mm-hmm. And it stayed through the whole time that they were here on this earth. Yeah. So you made a point earlier about your clients um, babying their horses, thinking that the horse will like them better. Having worked with animals, do you think that actually they're building in a disrespect for themselves when they do that? Absolutely. That is, yes, absolutely. So, so then how would the horse act when the horse thinks, oh, I'm the leader? So they would, they would be just very pushy. Like they would start walking toward the owner almost and like about run them over. And the owner, instead of saying, no, I'm standing my ground, you know, you're not pushing me around. They'll move out of the way and give in to the horse and then oh, if I grab more treats and maybe give him more treats, that'll make him stand here. So yeah, it's just, it becomes a very dangerous situation. So when you think back, I believe it's in the book of Romans where it talks about all creation groans for redemption. In your working with animals, number one, do you see evidence of a fall in animals? And do you witness that groaning for Human beings, the animals are like, would you guys get it together, please? <laughs> we really need you to do this right. Yes, I do. Yeah, absolutely. You can definitely see, you can definitely see sin in the world with, with even within the animals. And so, yes, absolutely. Okay. So, so if we're going to make this transition to children, obviously I happen to know that you're about to have your first child and, um, People might be laughing, going, oh, wait till she becomes a mother. She's going to see what it's really like. What do you think the mindset and having worked extensively with animals, um, 
how are you preparing yourself? Obviously, by the time, you know, your baby comes, it's going to be a long time before you can walk the baby around. And, you know, you're not going to give the baby treats to um, have the baby sleep through the night. Um, <laughs> right. Have you considered some of the lessons you've learned that you hope to bring into motherhood with you? Actually, yes, there's there's quite a few that I have in mind. This is a good example. You know, if we don't want our child to get into the cookie jar, some parents will take the cookie jar and put it at the highest part of the house, maybe on top of the refrigerator so they can't reach it. Mm -hmm. Instead of teaching them, you're not you're you know, you don't have a cookie until I say it's okay, And lower the cookie jar to their level. And then teach them not to, I'm not talking about an absolute baby who doesn't understand. This is a child who does understand at this moment, right from wrong. But instead of taking it out of their reach, put it on their level and train them instead of taking a cheap way out and, and putting it at the highest level. And so you're almost, you know, you're, you're almost saying you just can't reach it. Maybe if you, if you can find a way to get it, it's okay. Cause you're not teaching them. They're not allowed to have it. And here again, I, I see the same thing when it comes to riding a horse. My sister and I, when we were younger, we used to race out in the front field. Just her and I would race our horses with, with each other. And they would get very anxious and just want to take off running when we got to our starting point. And so your first reaction would be to pull, hold the reins back tight. So you're physically holding the animal from running. And then after a while, I thought, why am I doing this? Why am I wearing myself out holding back these reins when I can train the horse that you don't go until I ask you to? So I started training the horse that when we got to that point that you don't go until I say it's time to go. And so I I got the horse to have a loose rein without holding the horse back. And it was kind of like instead of them just fighting me, they're now thinking they, they're for they're they're forced to now think about the situation and make and then they decide, OK, do you can run. I'm giving you the chance to take off running, but there's going to be a consequence, you know. So now we're, we're allowing them to think, we're allowing them to learn instead of just taking it out of reach. So with the cookie jar in reach of the child, they can they can stand there and make a decision okay, do I want to do this? There's going to be consequence if I do. Instead of just taking it away from there, out of their reach, and then there's no training there whatsoever. There's no thinking and there's no growing. So, Right. So you made a really good point. And I think, like I said, when I was first a parent, I could have used a lot of this orientation that training takes time. I imagine from the time your horse wanted to just take off to the loose rein, it probably wasn't a 30 second conversation. Right. (laughs) Okay. Right. Takes time. (laughs) So give me an example of um, horses or, okay. And how you did that. And then we'll make the translation to human beings and children. So the process of getting the horse to know what you wanted, what did, what did that look like? So when, so during that time I would, I would allow, I would loosen the rein. And when they would start, so here, here's the thing I'll just imply. And this is also for dogs. Even when you are leash walking, training to a dog to leash walk, it, it takes two to fight. <laughs> you know, it's not the dog is just pulling. You also have to be the one pulling. It takes two 
two to fight or two, and I don't mean, I mean fighting as far as pulling against each other on a leash. And the same thing goes with riding. So what I would do is I would, I would loosen the rein. And as soon as the horse would try to take off, I would just pull back one time and immediately release. And so that, that pullback was, if you want to call it disciplining, saying, no, we're not going forward. And as soon as they stopped what they were doing, the reward was the release of the reins. So the reward came taking away the pressure. I see. And that goes, and that's the same with even with dogs and with training any dog to walk on a leash. And you'll see a lot of, especially small breeds, pulling the owners around. Right. And the owner will say, oh, the dog's just pulling me. Well, no, you're also keeping it tight. You're, you're a problem too. <laughs> so I can t- take the dog from them. As soon as they pull, you do one like jerk back on their collar and immediately release. And so what they learn is that there comes that harsh, if you want to call it more harsh, pull on them. But as soon as they quit pulling, the reward is now there's release and re- you're taking away the pressure. So you're not against letting a dog or a horse feel some degree of discomfort, pain, whatever you want to call it, but it's not a perpetual thing. You're not sitting there and beating the dog saying, you didn't listen to me. You didn't listen to me. You've actually got to be the person. You have to not act like one dog against another dog. Right. Absolutely. Yes. All right. Now, one of the things that's different with animals than with people I mean, we all know this, we can see it. You can have a horse 10 years and that horse is not going to learn how to read. The horse is not going to be able to articulate theology or his place in the kingdom of God, etc. So mm-hmm. it it seems like it's two different scenarios, right? When you're talking right. about children and you're talking about kids, etc. The training though that you do is, I mean, they sort of have a test and they sort of have um, levels of obedience that I know that um, horses for sure get ranked differently, that you're talking about consistent behaviors in an animal. Well, you want consistent behaviors in a person, but the person's going to be informed by the word of God. The person is going to be informed that you're different than animals. So I'm not going to put you on a leash as tempting as it is when you have a kid who runs around. And I actually think, well, it would make my life easier if I had put the child on a leash. However, I wouldn't be training the child to do what I said. Right. Absolutely. So in Hebrews chapter 12, five through seven, it says, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. The Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Obviously, we see that discipline is done out of love. Right. And contrary to a lot of people who look at their pets as their babies, I would guess just because you've worked with animals you don't think that that's a good orientation to have with your animals. Right. Why specifically in terms of the animal? Well, the animals are, we do have dominion over them and they are not made in the image of God or his likeness. And so, you know, even though we can compare as far as training techniques, you know, a child, 
obviously is, you know, they have spirit and we have, we are, are made in the image of God. We are different than any other creature on earth. And even the Bible does warn about serving the, the creature rather than the creator in Romans. So yeah, there is a big difference as far as that goes spiritually. Right. But one of the things, and I, when I was talking to our mutual friend about what I've learned in terms of dealing with various pets, I have this dog that we rescued eight and a half years ago. And my guess is she's maybe 10 or 12 because no one really knew. And I would ask her to do something. She would do the, you know, the yoga downward dog pose every time I asked her to do something. And then she would do what I said. And at first, and this was kind of like the way I would have put my parenting hat on. When I say something to you, you must obey me immediately because that's what this is all about. But what I started working into is that if I wanted her to do something and because I don't know her total history, I don't know, you know, if she had been beaten up by other dogs, by trainers, you know what? The downward dog was okay. It was an extra 35 seconds, right? Um, And then when she would walk to the door and I'd let her out or do whatever, there was this sense of, um, I wasn't forcing her. Now, I don't know if you would think, well, that was a bad habit that you brought into it. But I, first of all, I didn't really care that much. And mm-hmm. so if she eventually did what I asked her to do, and in most other circumstances, she does, sometimes you have to look at the personality. I'm sure with all the horses you've dealt with, they're not all the same just because they're right. a horse. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, I would say to some owners of horses that I've seen, I think the biggest issue was when they were trying to to, to discipline or, or train or teach whatever that what may would be. The biggest issue where there's miscommunication, and I would always tell them that a lot of times they don't understand what you want. So, you know, a lot of times we have to first look at ourselves to make sure we're communicating that correctly and teaching them because, yeah, just like horses children like you said they have different personalities some horses that were feral and are, are very afraid you would be easier on you you would you would do it in a, in a lighter way versus one that was very pushy so yeah i would say communication make sure they understand is the first tool to training right and i can tell you as a parent that I have three children and yeah, they all came from the same parents. They all grew up in the same circumstances, but they were very different. How you would discipline one wouldn't be the same. And right. um a look was enough for one. And another one would say, oh, that's a nice look. I don't care. And you'd have to have a stronger thing. But I've always encouraged parents. And again, this is from experience that disciplining in anger really isn't disciplining. So how would that play out with an animal? If you disciplined an animal in anger, as opposed to, okay, I've got my work cut out for me. Right. Yeah. So I think disciplining in anger does, it just does cause fear to the animal because you're not thinking clearly. The best thing to do is calm down first, even if you're training like when I would go out and train my dog something new and they weren't getting it, and I start getting frustrated. I would just stop altogether and wait till the next day. So, yeah, I would be very I would caution against disciplining children or even animals out of anger. I'm not sure if this is something I guess in some degrees it is. But 
the Bible tells us that we should not spare the rod because if we spare the rod, we spoil the child. But that doesn't mean the rod is your only tool in the toolbox any more than if all, like the expression goes, if all you have is a hammer, everything's a nail. So understanding why. So since you're dealing with, you know, rescues and feral horses and stuff like that, there has to be some time where you figure out, okay, why am I getting this response? And so give me a little example of how you might try to decode whatever's going on with an animal. So I would say first to build trust before you can go into any kind of discipline or any kind of training. The first step would be to build trust. And then after the trust is built, built, then I would go into building respect with the relationship with, with that animal. And then once that's established, then you can start training and then teaching right from wrong. So there, you know, I wouldn't just go jump straight into teaching right from wrong unless the horse is very well already trustworthy and respect, you know, of, of people. But um, like feral or abused animals that may have, you know, these issues, I would say trust first and then re- then relationship and respect. Right. One of the things we noticed about our rescue, she's a combination of Yorkie and Australian Terrier. So she looks like a big Yorkie. You could put food down and she wouldn't eat it. It's not that she didn't want to eat. And so we figured either she had been in a situation with lots of other animals and she let them eat first and then she would go, or somebody must have punished her Mm -hmm. when she went to eat something. And so it's funny because I, I always feel like I'm her waiter going, yes, yes, you can eat. Very good. You can eat, you know, and then she eats, right. she eats it all up. Right. But um, right. there was a time I might have said, well, you know what? If you won't eat, I'm taking it away. And not understanding that her hesitation wasn't disobedience. It right. was a hesitation for a reason I just didn't know. Right. Yes. And that's like even in Proverbs 12, 10 says a righteous man regards the life of his animal but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. So, you know, we are as believers supposed to tend to their, to the animals, you know, not just treat them like an object. Exactly. Because they're living creatures, right? They're not people, but they're living creatures. Based on what you know about animals, how early is too early to expose a child, let's say to a horse? Well, I mean, you understand, you know, where to walk so that you don't get kicked. And you understand that, you know, you see this with children and some really good dogs. They'll just poke at the dog and the dog takes it because the dog has an attitude of protection. Right. But um, you still have to be aware of the fact that they're still animals. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would say if they were really young, three, four years old, then definitely they would need parent supervision maybe hold them or hold their hand before letting them near the horse or, or the unknown dog. Okay. So in closing, and I really do appreciate you taking the time to do this. What are people who want to learn more? Is there a set um, process of certification that people go through in order to really learn how to effectively work with animals? Or is it much more experiential and 
you learn by experience? I think experience does have a lot to do with it, but also heart for them. You know, you have to, you have to love them, obviously same with, with your kids. And I think just experience, they have training schools out there. I have never attended any of those. It's just a love and starting so young and so many years. But I think just the more you're around them, we learn just, you know, all their moves and, and their reactions to things. Okay. And I was thinking when you said that, you know, I've been focusing on child rearing, child training, et cetera, but mm-hmm. these principles would apply in all relationships. After all, a lot of the animals you encounter aren't puppies, aren't, you know, right. You know, young horses, they they've had a life, they've had experience. And in one regard, they can't tell you, but you know, the quote from Job is, Ask the beasts and they will tell you. So I guess in a lot of ways, you can learn how to deal with easy, difficult people by hanging around and interacting so you find out what this person likes or what this animal likes and what he doesn't like because not everybody likes the same thing. Right. And I think the other thing too is that what I tell people is we have to understand the horse and horse language or the dog and dog language, or even the child, the child language or behavior. You know, we're not going to go out there and teach a horse how it's ABCs <laughs> and how to, how to talk to us. So we're the ones that have to study them. And so we, we come to their level of communicating, if you will, versus teaching them our way of, you know, communication. So I think that's very important to take in consideration when you're working with animals or children. Right. Because I would say that the difference there is you will always be endeavoring to understand the horse or the dog or whatever, because you're not a horse and you're not a dog. However, since you are a person and this young person's life that God has given you to steward, Mm -hmm. you won't always be stewarding this child's life. Um, since we're all grown up and we've all had parents and we've discovered that there are parents, but we don't necessarily think the exact same way. So the orientation, I think, which is helpful for parents of young children and growing children is to recognize that um, there'll come a point where this person is required by God to be responsible for himself or herself. Whereas that will never be true of the dog or the horse. Right. That's absolutely right. Yeah. Even if the horse is 20 years old, it's still not going to be able to buy its feed and, you know, get a job. And so absolutely. And that's, that shows a distinction between animals and people. And, you know, just how in the Bible it says thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You know, the staff is a example of a shepherd's staff. We are to shepherd our children and only when the child or even animals, we are stewards of everything God has given us. Our homes, our animals, everything we possess is is a gift from God and we are to shepherd those things. And when things go out of line, that's when the rod, you know, it says in the Bible, it says thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You know, even the rod done in a correct way is comforting. You know, it sounds so that, like that when you said that you took the horse's rein and backed him up, that the right. horse was like, oh, good. Finally, someone knows what he's doing here. Right. And the horse relaxed and and was, I mean, 
just completely different attitude. And the owner almost thought the horse liked me better. And it's not that it's just the horse was, you know, at ease that, okay, this is, this person's a leader. I don't have to try to be this and I can just relax and knowing that everything's taken care of. And even though we talk about owning our animals, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody comes and steals your horse. You'll say, wait, that was right. my horse, right? Right. There is a stewardship involved because right. you still are responsible before God to not abuse an animal, not to um, take an animal for granted. Right. And in a lot, yeah. And in a lot of ways, you translate that to how we deal with our children. But that's why hands-on parenting is important. Um, I hate the term helicopter parent because I think it makes fun of caring parents. Mm-hmm. But the same way that you trained that horse to do what you wanted, a parent has to teach a child what's expected. And I encourage people, don't discipline someone for something you've never told them not to do. Absolutely. That's correct. Yes. Now, some people would say, well, okay, so tell your four-year-old, do not kill your sister. Well, okay, the four-year-old has this mark as a human being made in God's image. The child already knows stealing and and murdering and hitting are wrong. That's why they tend to conceal it. Nobody goes up and say, guess what? I just bashed her in the head and, you know, expect a reward. So as a parent, you can be proactive. And I imagine as a trainer... There are lots of behaviors that you can avoid if you train from the beginning. And I think that's a, a good translation between animals and people. Why not avoid problems before they start? That's absolutely right. Yes. Give me an example of some behaviors in dogs or and our horses where you know that they're likely to do these things and you can um, be proactive. Yeah, so I would just say as one that comes to mind would be this family who was new with with horses and they got this young gelding and they were trying to win the approval. They were feeding treats nonstop and just over. And obviously, what you want, we want to build trust, like we were saying, in, in a relationship. And so that part was all good. But this particular horse was very pushy and they were just. They were so afraid of him that they would use treats to walk out in the pasture because they feared their own animal. And the accident happened to where the little girl was out there with the treats in her hand and the horse was trying to take them from her. And since she wasn't giving them to him immediately, he actually picked her up by her head and bit down on her head. And so I come later after this incident happened a week or so later and they were telling me about it and they were wanting to shoot and kill the horse over it. And they were afraid to even go out there. And so I explained to them that instead of going overboard on babying this horse and, and almost giving in out of fear, you're, you're giving them treats so that you can go out in your own field to not even start that in the beginning to, to not even don't, don't over treat them. Don't over, baby them to build the relationship and they did they after that they they had to had more work cut out for them they had to undo what they did so yeah I think it's just seeing some of these you know with even with kids that there's a lot of things you can do to prevent some some of these tragedies from happening 
Right. And from simple, I mean, I remember talking to families that said, I can't get my child not to go in and eat the food that we're going to have for dinner beforehand. And I found that odd because in our house, up until, I don't know, in their teen years, you weren't allowed to go into the refrigerator without permission to the (laughs) point that I had a I had an adult child going, can I have this? And I'm going like, okay, you're past that. Yes, I know you're not going to eat all our food, right? So right. Um, I suppose with different people, there are different preferences. You know, you can have a preference as a parent or as an owner that won't be everybody else's preferences, you know? Mm-hmm. So if somebody, you know, doesn't like it when, I don't know, somebody uh hums. I, I remember this with my kids. He won't stop humming. They were in the back seat. Well, there's nothing intrinsically evil about humming, right? except if he was doing it because he knew it was going to upset her. Right. And I would go back to Romans that say, outdo one another in showing honor. So I want to find out that you've outdone your sister in showing her honor. No, no, she's trying to show you honor. And now that's your competition as opposed to how much you can irritate each other. And I imagine a lot of people are inadvertently irritating their pets and don't even know it. Right. And I think for children too, obviously, you know, is it done out of sin? You know, is this a sin that they're doing or is it just childish behavior? And I think understanding the difference between the two will follow along with, you know, like you were saying, I mean, every time if a baby cries, you're not going to spank your six month old baby because your right. baby's crying because the baby is how he communicates. Um, and so there, we do need to understand childish behavior, but as they grow much mature, we need to then see, okay, is this, or is this a sin that they're doing? Are they blatantly hitting their brother or, you know, so what, or are they humming and bothering them out of humming or are they hitting them? So like, there's a difference also between childish behavior and sin too, I would say. Right. And again, that's why parenting is not easy. Right. And I imagine dealing with animals is not easy. As a matter of fact, you probably get the calls on, okay, come and help us or we're going to shoot the horse. Okay. Um, I'm sure the pressure on you was kind of intense because you wouldn't want the horse to be shot for something stupid that the owners did. Right. Well, no one's going to say, come and shoot my child because, you know, he or she is bothering me. But I think it speaks to the fact that parenting especially, but in anything you do, um, don't expect a quick fix. Don't expect that all behaviors are going to be perfect. After all, we do live in a fallen world. So if right. you don't acknowledge that and you think your animal, your child should obey immediately, no questions asked, then maybe your um, position is more dictator tyrant than it is mother or father. Right. Absolutely. God has given us much grace. So we should also give others grace, animals and kids and other people. So absolutely. Okay. Well, very good. Well, thank you, JL. I know you're on Facebook. Are you open to people who might have questions or would like to be in touch with you to do so? Do you have a website that people could go to things like that? Sure. Absolutely. Yes. So we have for our German shepherds that we raise, our website is given house. Given is G-I-V as in Victor, E-N, house spelled in German, H-A-U-S dot com. And then my website for hoof trimming is natural hoof sense, S-E-N-S-E dot com. 
And we are also on Facebook. My personal is JL Given Seibert. And we also have Given House, German Shepherd page as well. Okay. So Given is kind of interesting because that's your maiden name. And it is. Yeah. And, you know, these animals and everything are given to us by God. So it's kind of a nice play on words. Right. All right. Well, thanks for taking the time. I appreciate it. And I hope we've um, given people a perspective that's helpful to them. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Listeners, out of the question podcast at gmail.com is how to get a hold of us. And we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.